Kiss me, fat boy. 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 Warning, the following podcast contains explicit language and themes. It's not suitable for younger viewers and more sensitive viewers. It also has a lot of things that could be triggering for some individuals, so please proceed with caution. We're not affiliated with Mr. King on any level or in any way or the various platforms and entities that release his works. This is just a book club by some fans of his books. We... um. Also, the opinions that we say on this are just those who say it, not reflective of anyone else on any platform or in any way, in any manner, or sponsors or people or anything. Um, also, the spoiler warning, you've been warned a million times on this, but just in case you don't know, please go read the book from today's podcast before you listen to this podcast. Um, otherwise, you're going to be spoiled, spoiled to it. And there's also cross-references to all the works of Stephen King, as most of his works, if not all of them, are connected in some way or manner. You've been warned. Okay, t- um, Serena here t- today alone. I'm doing Finders Keepers. Uh, it's the crime, the second of the Bill Hodges trilogy. Um, first, there's Mr. Mercedes, then Finders Keepers, and then um, End of Watch, which is, if you've, You'll find out soon enough that I actually listened to End of Watch first, the audiobook, without realizing it. And um, they're standalone enough to where I could pick up what they're putting down. But watch, um, definitely, uh, Finders Keepers is my definitely favorite of this trilogy. I just, um, I didn't like End of Watch that much. Um, Mr. Mercedes would have been a good book if it wasn't for all the uh, racism in the book. Uh, and caricatures of races that was so unnecessary. I mean, anyway, this was published June 2nd, 2015. Um, it is 434 pages, and it's the continuation of Bill Hodges and his um, journey into being a detective with, uh, with Holly. Everybody loves Holly. She seems to be... Um, such a fan favorite so but it starts back in time we before i mean holly was born obviously because she's in her 50s but let's start back in 1978 um so morris bellamy and he's got two guys that come with him and they break into the home of a famous author named john rothstein which um i think is a kind of a throwback to um, the one guy that, that wrote the um, Catcher in the Rye, uh, Salinger. He's, like, really reclusive. I think this is kind of him, but I don't know. That's just my, my theory. I didn't do deep research into it because it's just, a, like, a crime fiction book. You know, it's kind of like a detective uh, murder mystery style, so I didn't go too deep in it. But anyway, um, this Rothstein character who's fictional, um, he wrote... He's very reclusive and famous, but um, he wrote the Jimmy Gold Runner trilogy. Um, they break into the house, and um, Morris goes by Maury, okay? So I'm going to start calling him Maury. So Maury is um, this red-headed, white, pale, big, 
lips are so um, dark. They look like he's wearing red lipstick. You can just get a good picture of him. He just doesn't seem like... He obviously stands out like, you know, with all these um, dramatic features. He's the one you remember. He's also the most intelligent ones, quote-unquote. And he... Um, he gets his friends to break in the house. They get the combination of the state, the safe. Um, they, I don't think they ever intended to let him live, but, um, Rothstein is just, he's a reclusive. He is a bad person. He's an a-hole. Um, you know, he's all the things that you don't want to know about. It's like never meet your heroes type of thing. Um, but he's known for this, so it's not like anything surprising. So this banter goes between Mari and Rothstein is not a surprise. What surprises Mari's reaction, how Rothstein was able to get him. But in the beginning, you know, Rothstein is thinking about how he's all alone in his house at night. Um, he, uh, you know, he's single or divorced multiple times, so he's currently alone. He's run everybody off. He's thinking about... He's actually having a dream about having sex with one of his ex-wives. He wakes up um, with a heart on, and then all of a sudden, he's, these guys are around him, and he's kind of pissed off because he's enjoying his dream. So he goes off on them for waking him up, and he's kind of like, get what you want and get out. And um, I don't have very much money in the house, and um, here's what I have under this, you know, my desk and this, that, and the other. And then Mari's like, no, I want the safe. And they, he pushes and pushes, and they're all wearing masks at this time. But he keeps pushing him, and finally they get him to get give them the the safe combination, and they do get a lot of money out. I think like twenty thousand dollars. But what they really, what Mari wants is these unwritten books and notebooks, and Rustin's trying to discourage them from getting it because it's his real. That's the real treasure. He doesn't want anybody to read it. He doesn't like um, where he took Jimmy Gold. He decided to keep it the same instead of um, redeeming Jimmy's character. He decided for whatever his reasons were, he didn't like the work, he didn't think it was good enough, or maybe he didn't want to ruin the commercial success, or he was afraid of the criticism, but it would have been a more um, perfected work in Mari's opinion. So they're actually squabbling over how Rothstein did Jimmy Gold's character wrong, and he ends up, uh, Rossing ends up getting shot by um, one, of, and then one of Maury's accomplices gets shot, and um, so they end up getting what they can and leaving. And Maury gets these beloved notebooks that he's been obsessed with, and all he could think about is, "I can't wait to get home and read these books." He doesn't even care about selling them. He's so obsessed. He's such a fanboy that he doesn't want to sell them. He just wants to read them. And the money was great and everything. That was gravy. But he was just obsessed with reading these books. It defined him. Okay? And um, there's not any commentary. Like in the Mr. Mercedes, they, they bring it into this, oh, you know, people who like these books tend to be violent men and blah, blah, blah. No, there's none of that. It's just these are, you know, people know, like, if you're running the parallel of Catcher in the Rye against the um, Jimmy Gold trilogy, the people who like those books, you can just make a conclusion. There's been lots of public commentary um, on that. So I think that's what they did with Mr. Mercedes Season 3 is take it there. But whatever. It's not relevant. It's not covered in the book. 
Um, you interpret this the only way you want to, or it's multiple ways, but only one way speaks to you, or multiple ways, whatever. But the point is, is that Maury wants these books, and he can't wait to get it, but um, he has to kill the one guy dies, and he has to kill the other guy, and he ditches the car, and he takes the money and the books, and he buries it under a tree, but he was so excited. He had to wait a while. He's laying low. He thought he got away with it, which he did. Um, he got away with that crime because he had no one, you know, dead men tell no tales. Ooh, later reference. Um, but anyway, so he's all by himself. And he gets ex- he is just so happy and celebratory that he's finally going to get to read these books, but he still has to wait. That he goes and gets drunk, and in his blackout drunkenness, he attacks and rapes a woman, and uh, he I think he disfigures her. Anyway, it's a pretty dramatic thing that happened that he did. So he ends up serving a lot of time in prison for his crime. So. It's kind of like as an attorney, I would tell you that most criminals do not serve time. Sometimes they don't even get in trouble for the actual crime they did. They are not the ones who did it or they just happen to be around or whatever. But the many times they commit crimes over and over again, you know, they have it coming is what juries seem to think and they get convicted. But this guy, he did do it. Maury did it. He don't remember it, you know. Um. Anyway, so... uh. And the reason why Mari was celebrating is that he did talk to this guy named Andy Holiday, and um, that's when uh, you know Mari decided he was going to sell them in the future after he raised them. And he got he got an idea from Andy because Andy is a shady book dealer, and he says, um, "Yeah, you know, how long do I need to lay low?" And he gives him the idea of how long. So that's why he he was, you know, laying low, just to get it, kind of give you the full picture. So he um, does bury these things in a trunk and underneath the tree behind his house that he lived in at that time with his family. And after he goes to um, prison, he gets a, he pleads guilty um, and gets, with hoping that he'll get a lesser sentence, um, so I guess he did what they call blind plea, or he could have gotten a, the judge could have rejected his plea offer, which is something that happens, but he said he's given a life in sentence, but it's life with parole, not life without, so um, he asked for parole multiple times over the years, and every every time he shows up, up to the hearing, um, nobody, you know, multiple times he just shot down, but of course every time his victim does come to the hearing. And then finally, in 2014, she is dying of, I think she's dying of cancer or something like that. And she's come to the conclusion that she has forgiven him. So he finally gets out. He's an old man. Um, I think he's in his late 50s, early 60s. Um, And he's just like having to live his life. He's got a parole officer that's up his ass, which I don't have any sympathy for Maury. I'm just telling you the facts. Um, and uh, he's waiting, you know, he's just kind of like, he knows he has to be somewhere all the time. He's got like, he doesn't, I don't think he has an ankle bracelet on him, but he bought as well because he's in a halfway house set up, you know, because they face people out. They don't just put you, cut you out of the streets sometimes, especially in larger areas. 
Um, more rural areas might let you register uh, an acceptable address. You do have to register it. And they will come at 4 in the morning. They will come at 2 in the morning. They'll come at 5 in the morning. I've had clients who got busted because their um, claim they were working overnight, but their pro officer was there at 4 or 5 in the morning when they should have come in from their night shift, and they busted them. So I'm just saying, like, these guys know what they're doing, and they get, you know, a scent for it, and they know. And, um, you know, Mario is making sure not to take drugs, not to drink alcohol, because they do piss test you. And so he was able to just kind of lay low and wait. Not very long, though. He could barely handle it. So um, he goes to the, find his um, it's a, his old house, a tree behind it near a pathway, and he dr- digs up the spot, and it's empty. And he's just like, I think the chest is there, but it's empty. But I'm, And he's just like, he doesn't know what to do. So he goes, and he reaches out to this um, Andy, is that his name? I think that's the name. The Andy, the broker, the, the shady, yep, the shady um, book dealer. So that's what he does, and that's how he finds out um, about Pete. Okay, but we're going to pause that uh, storyline for a moment and just let you know that in 2010, so before four years before um, Mari got out, Pete is a um, young boy, and he is living in the house that Mari used to live in. Um, his parents are struggling because his dad was one of the victims of Mr. Mercedes, and he is um, he is on... Take, he's relied upon pain pills and not doing his physical therapy. Um, he used to be a real estate uh, guy, and he just, the market crashed, the bubble popped, and all these different things have happened. And plus, is he was just struggling, and the, tire, the town they're living in is, is um, declining, so they're not able to, you know, do make ends meet. So his mom's working all, like, two or three jobs to make it happen for him. And then he's got a younger sister. And um, so Pete is just out one day walking his dog, and he finds the chest, and he opens it, um, and he sees what's inside, and he kind of comes back later and gets some duffel bags. I believe that's what he does. But anyway, he sneaks the contents away, and he sits at home, and he reads these books, and he's just in, in amazement. And I don't know if he realizes that it's something to do with the death of John Ron John Ronstein. It is known that he's they burgled him and took money, but they didn't know about the books. No one knew about the books. That was his secret. Um, but uh, Pete just gets so obsessed with this idea of um, the J- Jimmy Gold trilogy and how he's writing all these papers. So he's just he's gotten into it really great. And then with all this money he finds um, he's able to um, parse out small amounts of like 500, 1,000 or whatever over the years to support his family and to kind of help them. And it just he just sticks it in an envelope and mails it and says anonymous donation type thing. And, you know, and then at the end, they run out of money. And um, that's when uh, Pete goes to Andy to see if he can sell these books because he does checking and finds out he's sketchy too from his dad and his dad has rebuilt his business and he's doing well his mom's doing well and they never ask questions about the money and um he did tell them this is the last one sorry and so they're kind of freaking out scrambling but that's when 
who tries to sell these books because his sister wants his sister knew it was him the whole time and she wants to go to this private school and now she's not able to um so um andy ends up getting he's trying to trick pete into doing these books he tries to um let him know that he first he wants to play ball and then he starts blackmailing him and saying things like you know i'll just tell the cops and um you know this kind of stuff this is stolen property and so they kind of go back and forth back and forth and finally they kind of come to a resolution where andy's going to give him a lot less than um he wants but they kind of come to a middle ground but at this time mari has already been there tortured and killed andy and um andy tells him he tortures him until he tells him about the kid he takes the video he takes the dvd of and watches it and he sets the whole thing up where he's waiting for uh pete and so tina is the little sister and she is suspicious of her brother pete because he's really been stressed out um before he gets captured by maury because it's inevitable he's going to get captured by maury or run into with maury about the whole thing right um he's been just super stressed out because um andy's just been torturing him about i'm gonna get you we're gonna you know you're gonna go to jail da, 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 da. and uh you know there was money too i bet you your parents would they what would happen if the irs got a call about your parents income and he's just a smart man and he figures it out kind of and so this has put pete under a lot of stress so his little sister tina reaches out to holly gibney and her um Uh, firm binders keepers and asked for um she does reach out to bill too but they basically uh start realizing something's wrong and they do a little investigation for her and um they just try to help out i don't think that they're being paid or anything um hodge Hodge, bill hodges goes to uh pete and he um tries to talk to him and and I think the reason why they're reaching out to him is because, you know, they remember him from being one of the victims and they feel for him, so, the dad, you know. And so um, they basically figure out the whole case. Um, they figure out almost at the last minute that that what is going on and Pete ends up um, getting freaked out because Mari goes and he kills I don't, he doesn't kill the mother. He doesn't kill Pete's mother, but he, he injures her greatly. She does live. Um, Dad obviously isn't affected by this physically. Uh, he kidnaps Tina. Mari kidnaps Tina, and he holds her hostage at the rec center. And ironically, the rec center is abandoned, and um, that's where Mari grew up watching movies, and so did Pete. So in the basement, Mari had already hidden the books. So that's the irony, right? And so he... Um, Tells him he'll meet him and give him the books. He just wants his sister a clinic exchange and moving on. And he kind of says, you know, the whole thing is like a pissing contest between two uh, book collector snobby people. So it's funny because they're like, I always say there's two kinds of um, people who read a lot. There's people who just want to read for reading and uh, they don't need to collect the books. Like they don't literally want a physical collection in their house 
And I'm one of those people, that's why I like to do audiobooks and e-books, because I don't have the space, and I just find that there's only a handful of books I'd want a physical copy of. So I don't really need those. I, I do not have room for, for it, and even if I did, in the past I've had room for it, and it's just not really my thing. Um, I think I own like a special edition of Gone with the Wind, which I now that I'm older, I'm conflicted over, so I might get rid of that now that I realize what it was about. And then I own Alice in Wonderland, um, like hardbacks and everything, and now I'm conflicted about that because of the uh, history of that book. So it's like, you know, I'm just not a big book person when it comes to physical collection of books. There's people who have beautiful collections, and they really do great. It's just not me. So anyway, then the other people, like I said, they collect the physical books. They want to have the, they love the art in the book. They love the art on the cover. Um, you know, even Stephen King people can find a place if they're into collecting physical books. Um, so Maury and Pete are fighting over these books. So they're also the criminal desperation element to them, so they need the money. So they want to obtain these books, and they almost don't want to let them go, but they also need the money bad enough. But they're definitely what I call physical book collectors. Um, it's more you want to know it, but you also want to keep it, I think. So they're like two book snobs um, fighting over all this stuff, and it's just really funny. Like, you don't get to keep it. It's not fair that you got to read it first. I served a gazillion years you know, and uh, Mari, you know, Mari was, um, he was assaulted quite a lot in prison. Um, he was essayed, and um, he was able to finally find people. Um, he found a little niche in jail where he could pay people to protect him. So that worked out for him eventually. But in the beginning, he had it rough. And um, so he just went through hell on earth to read these books, especially in his mind. Um, and, you know, putting his criminal stuff aside and the fact that he killed people and and he did the same thing to a woman that's happened to him. I'm just saying, like, in his mind, his perception is that I've earned this, okay? Whether you think so or not, it doesn't matter. It's just a story. But, um, and then, of course, in Pete's mind, he's like, you don't deserve this. Um, they deserve to be, you know, put out to the world possibly it's just this weird kind of back and forth so anyway so there's two books snobs fighting and it's kind of funny because i'm sure mr king has had so many run-ins with people like this over the years he's an author and everybody i mean hello i'm sitting here doing a book club podcast on him even though i'm not really a king fan I'm, i like his books but i can imagine what kind of weirdos come to try to do the meet and greets and send him packages and letters and stuff I mean, I'm, like, on TikTok, and I get weird messages all the time from bots and from people. So, I'm just saying. And, uh, anyway, so, the Pete is um, doesn't want any help. And, of course, Bill and Holly are able to figure everything out at the last minute. They get there, I think, with the dad who had the keys, and they find out what's happening with the exchange. And, um... The books were hidden in the basement of the rec center, so um, Pete gets Mari to bring Tina downstairs to the basement, and they do the exchange. But things start getting weird, and he threatens to burn them. And um, Mari's so obsessed with the books and not being able to read them because he'd given them tidbits. Do you know that 
Jimmy um, did this, you know, that Jimmy did that. So, you know, Mari just wants rhythm more than anything else. And um, so he starts, he lets them on fire as a diversion to keep him from killing um, his sister and do the exchange. And so Mari just runs over there and Mari is just trying to read the books. And he's di- he's like burning, reading, still trying to read and put the fire out and everything. And he's just like beyond human understanding capacity is this person still alive through this burning. And he dies. The whole place burns down. The end of that uh, tragic life. But um, in the end, um, uh, the end of the novel... Um, basically, <laughs> I forget that this is even, because like I said, I read it in order. So at the end of the novel, um, Bill's going to see Brady, so at the hospital, and he's suspicious because something moves, um, and he just is like, huh, and that's the end, and it's setting up for End of Watch. So, um, that's pretty much it. In the show, Mr. Mercedes, this was covered, like I said, in season three, and it took a very odd turn. The character that played Mr. Um, that played Mari in Mr. Mercedes was um, very attractive, and he did not, he did not appear to me like the kind of guy that he's just like good looking dude. Let me see if I can find him. I can't find his name. Okay, Gabriel Ebert. Uh, he's an American stage actor and singer, and he's 35 years old. He went to Juilliard. You could tell. Mr. And Mr. Man's hot. And that he's so hot that in the show they keep referring to how good-looking he is. And um, he's also like the sugar baby. Well, he's actually an essay victim that's still continuing on with his predator. But he's, you know, acting like some kind of weirdo sugar baby. But anyway, um... I did not picture that guy being Maury because Maury is described as kind of freakishly looking, you know, really pale, not attractive. These like pink lipstick, red lipstick looking lips. Um, So I'm going to tell you who I thought should have done this. The actor, Jesse Clemens. That is literally who I was picturing the whole time. And he's also 35 years old, so he could have done it. Um, he's married to Kirsten Dunst, which I didn't realize, but that's who I was picturing, um, him the whole time. Of course, his lips are not necessarily a red, pinkish red color, but he does have that real good gingery, weird coloring that's not as attractive as the guy they picked up to be in the show. But anyway, that's who I was picturing the whole time was him and then him older. And anyway, but, um, yeah. Okay, so this book was uh, my favorite in the Bill Hodges trilogy. It still had the shenanigans about Jerome in there slightly because they they were around. But um, anyway, uh, just check out the book if you want to be a part of the Bill Hodges trilogy and understand Mr. Mercedes. It is not uh, really connected, in my opinion, to the the caw and the kef of the tower even though they're part of his world it's not it's just something he did it's a little bit different it's holly is his own thing she does have there's supernatural elements to almost all of these books but i do not recall 
there being a supernatural element at all to this one particular book, other than Brady at the end able to knock a pitcher over and turn the water tap on, and then that's setting up for the last book, which is End of Watch. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Bye.